Like, I'm a talentless couch potato, but I've probably danced for half the people in your iTunes playlist. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, Tom Malone Jr. I was a very working class lad in a very middle class environment. I think obviously a lot of people know from Gogglebox. It was great to be able to share something like that with my family, but it was never the end goal. My mum turned around to my dad and said, I think Thomas wants to dance. I just dived headfirst into dance. He was 19, then you were in Vegas. We were getting up to all kinds of shenanigans. We got asked to do BBC Radio and Team Awards, and Rita Ora and Nick Grimshaw were hosting it. I was doing red carpets with Rough Diamond and stuff. I did Mobos with Wiley. I did a music video for the Cortinas. It was a mad period of time. I've not always had a good head on my shoulders, by the way. As a kid, I had to learn how to survive in a world of neurotypical people. Now we know that I'm autistic. What did you find out that you had it? I was 28. All that means is you process things differently, but you're going to deal with the same actions and consequences as everyone else. So I'm one of six. My younger brother got seriously ill. I put him in the, the back of the car. He started to have a seizure in the back of the car. They've put him in a drug-induced coma, given him a bunch of brain surgeries. Told my mum and daddy had a one in 10 chance of survival. As much as going to the hospital and stuff was concerned, I didn't really go as often as I probably should. But I was very much like, if the worst was to happen, I didn't want to remember him like that. I think my outlook on everything kind of changed. Our champion for today is Tom Malone Jr. You probably know him from Gogglebox, but his story's much deeper. A working-class lad from Manchester managed to make a career into professional dance and perform for the biggest names in music, such as Rita Ora, Fergie and Wiley. Then if that's not enough, he got diagnosed with autism at 28, and now he breaks down its stigma online. Well, welcome to the show. Um, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. The, the man himself is on our mantle piece, Mr. Tyson <laughs> Fury. Like a weird version of the Sacred Heart, isn't it? The Sacred Heart? What's <laughs> the Sacred Heart? In like Catholic families when you have to say, like, it's Jesus, like this movie is like heart birded. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, no. Maybe that's, I grew up in a very Catholic family, so we had it like on the wall. Right, so, okay. Yeah. What was that like growing up in a Catholic family? A lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> is it is that something you're still massively passionate about and believe in? Or is it um, I'm not like go to church every week, mm. but yeah, I still have faith. I'm still yeah. quite strong about it. I still pray, still all that stuff. That's it's good. The good bits. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I mean, Tyson's a massive believer in, in faith. Yeah. Um, he's very, very open and honest about that on his Instagram, and he believes where he's got to is, is through God. Yeah, um, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Get the strength from somewhere, you know. Yeah. Well, no, obviously, I think a lot of people will know who you are, but you've had such a varied career. <laughs> yeah, I've done a bit of everything. <laughs> a, little, a bit of everything. I was like, I went on Google, because I think obviously a lot of people know from Gogglebox, yeah. right? Was that the start of the career? No, so it started a long time before then. So I was a professional dancer first from being like 14. Mm. So I was dancing professionally. I've danced for like Rita Aurora, Emily Sandy, um, Wiley, done the Mobos, done Radio One Teen Awards, like done loads of stuff. It's not um, a small list that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I was teaching at a dance studio in Manchester yeah. as well as like the performing side. And my mum used to cover the reception sometimes. Okay. And the producers from Gogglebox just rang up and asked if they knew any good families for it. And the woman that owned the studio suggested me and my mum. Right. They came in the next day. And yeah, they, I was in the studio behind the reception, which has got a glass front on it. Yeah. With my head against the wall doing this because I was trying to work out why my windmill to head spin wasn't working right. <laughs> so they've come in, they've said to my mum, are you Julie? She said, yeah. And they've gone in. Is that Tom? And my mum's turned around and just like <laughs> face palmed herself because I'm my head on the wall doing this. And she's gone, yeah, and they must have just thought, these are not right in the head. This is going to be 
Yeah. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, for a producer, they'll probably be like, they've seen you doing that. Like, this is going to be golden. Yeah. And that's before they even met my dad, before they knew we had six dogs at the time. Yeah. Like, so the more we told them, the more they were like, this is a madhouse. Yeah. And we said no at first. Did you? Yeah, we said no at first. Why was that? Well, we'd never watched the show. So we, like like most people, when they first hear Gogglebox, we thought, sitting around watching mm. people watch TV. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound great. Yeah. So we said no. My dad was like, oh, there's going to be cameras in the house all the time. So I can't just come down in the middle of the night wearing his wife fronts <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so we were like, no at first. Yeah. And then they explained to us the cameras won't be there all the time. And they were even more excited when we said we had six dogs. Yeah. So in the end, we ended up doing it. But I mean, those dogs are made iconic TV. <laughs> and they're a bunch of idiots. They're like... They're so lovable, but they're a bunch of idiots. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the moment where you, you, your dad was getting, like, not attacked by them. He was like, no, stop, stop, stop. Like, oh, when he had the dog mask on. Yeah. It's always Dave. It's always Dave. Mm. The um, But what I'm really interested in, like you said before, Gogglebox, like, you, you're already having a really successful career. Like, where did that start? So, like you said, the family's a madhouse. Let's yeah. paint the picture from that. What was, <laughs> what was Tom's life like as a child? Like, what was... So I'm one of six kids. Yeah, I'm wow. one of one of six kids. I'm number five. Okay. Second youngest. Um, two live with their mum. Yeah. Um, so there was four in the house with my mum and dad, all the dogs, mm-hmm. growing up, and I come from a long line of like, like grab wagon drivers and lorry drivers. Right. Okay. <laughs> in Ireland, so like my dad grew up in Kildare, so that's where the Catholic kind of background comes yeah. from. Um, my mum grew up always around music because of my granddad on her side. My mum and dad growing up didn't really have much opportunity to do stuff because weren't well off or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So when we were growing up, my dad worked seven days a week from way before I was born. So, um, yeah, seven days a week from like five in the morning till God knows what hour till he was done, really. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that we had opportunities that he didn't have growing up. And yeah. so we didn't have to do the same work that he did. So my sister started going to dance classes as like something for her to do. And I was that young at the time that mum just had to bring me along. So I just started joining in at the back. Like no one told me to do it. I just heard the music and got up and started joining in to... Just being a kid. Yeah, having just, fun. just to join in. And my mum turned around to my dad and said, I think Thomas wants to wants to dance. And at the time, like my dad's a very like manly man. So Is my he? mum was like, I don't know how he's going to take it. Told my dad and my dad was just like, so let him dance if he wants to dance. <laughs> so your dad was just chill like yeah, it, was, my, it wasn't like a working no he's not doing that no 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 my dad yeah. was always very much like he never wanted I think his exact words to my mum was that he never wanted like any of his kids to grow up and be like I could have been this but you stopped me mm. so yeah from, from young I was started off with tap ballet contemporary jazz all that kind of stuff but obviously that wasn't the music I was listening to so got to well I actually got to this is a long story. It's okay. <laughs> We've got time. That's the point. It's a podcast. Got to about 10 or 11 and I auditioned for Billy Elliot the Musical. Mm-hmm. Was basically me and my brother were meant to be going into Billy Elliot the Musical as the first two brothers to go into the show. We've got the letter at home because when they told us, my mum asked for it in writing. Right. We've got a letter at home where they said that we were both going into the show. We were going to go to London, start learning the shows or whatever. So I was doing that. I went down there for a couple of weeks at a time to be learning stuff. And then at one point, one of the other boys that was going to be in the show got into an argument with him. Bit of a tussle. It was, yeah. It's not allowed. <laughs> I yeah. ended up getting kicked out. My brother ended up doing it. And then after that, because that wasn't the music I was 
listening to my mum was like well we've got to find something for him to do so i ended up doing more street dance kind of stuff yeah but going back onto that moment because i think that that's important it's a very ordinary thing you're a young boy you got into it also like what was that what was that about and did that, that ever impact your feeling it was like i've lost an opportunity there um a little bit i mean the lad said something about my mum so i've never regretted it yeah. <laughs> but it was more so like i i was a very working class lad mm-hmm in a very middle-class environment. Okay. So in terms of like the arts and stuff, especially going down the tap and ballet sort of route that I was at that time, it was like, I'm from a very working class background, a very lad's lad, but I'm in this situation where everyone I'm around comes from money. Yeah. It's like kind of middle-class, like... Did you feel like you was being judged? Um, Not really that I was being judged. If anything, it was more that I was a bit of a... It gave me kind of a bit more of a comfort in my identity because I knew who I was yeah. around them. But it was more more so a little bit like it made me realise the elitism around it. Okay. And as I've got older, I've been more grateful to my dad as well because I'm like, you worked that hard to be able to pay for that. And most kids coming from a working class background don't get that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just more so it was a, a weird one to navigate because I'd never been in that environment. Yeah. So as much as i wasn't used to that they weren't used to me mm-hmm. at the same time so you was, you was learning and almost like you kid as well how old are you then 11 12 so you you are literally pushing those boundaries you don't know what's what you know yeah. you're in a new environment and it's like the boundaries that you would normally push within your own environment mm. you're now being like stuck in a complete different world yeah and still trying to work those out at the same time so yeah it was a it was a weird one so then as I came back, in fact, two things, because that filled up so much of my time, mm-hmm. the training for Billy Elliot, it was like every day. So now been dropped from that. My brother's doing it. So my brother's down in London. So my mum and dad have got a bit more like time to be able to take me more places and stuff as well. So at the age of 12, I started doing boxing and got more into the street dance side of stuff. Okay. So literally every night of the week, if I wasn't dancing, I was boxing. Some nights I would go boxing and then go straight to dancing. It was like, it was full on. But from early, everything I did, my mum and dad were like, if you're going to do it, do it 100% mm. or just do something else. <laughs> yeah. At this point, like you're aged 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you're doing ballet, tap. Um, you start getting to, to break. Yep. You also boxing. Like, yeah. That's quite a lot of like sport. Minds, like what was your mindset in this period was this just, was this just you being young and fun or was you was you a competitive person i'm very competitive i think growing up with like so many siblings you kind of you end up built that way yeah like, everything's a competition <laughs> food comes on the table who can eat the most first everything you'll be like pouring out i remember like pouring out drinks of vimto and stuff as a kid and like measuring up that we had the same amounts and stuff like everything is a competition like no one can have more than you yeah like it's, it's always like that but i've i've been like that all my life like yeah. I'm very much if I'm going to do something I want to be the best at it yeah. otherwise I don't see don't see the point and then well speaking about becoming the best of it you obviously started making a breakthrough in dance because like you just mentioned like Rita Rora was it Wiley yeah. like, yeah. State, like where 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 did that come from uh, I was 14 actually I was 14 there was a big audition in London for FIFA right it was like um to it was the FIFA World Congress sort of thing where all the delegates come together mm-hmm. and talk about what they're going to do. And they always have a big opening ceremony, a big closing ceremony. Mm-hmm. And this year, their idea was to have junior delegates from each continent 
right. to come and perform and do this big opening ceremony. So I think there was over a thousand kids or something that went and auditioned. And at 14, I got the part as the kid from like Europe. Just one? Yeah. Out of a thousand? Yeah. That's a big odd. <laughs> well, no, I think, because I think, I think about four of the other kids ended up being from the UK. Yeah. Three or four. Did that. I mean, we flew out for a few weekends because we filmed like a whole VT thing and everything. Like, it was huge. I was performing in a stadium, like the biggest stadium in Zurich. It was. How old are you? 14. It was crazy. <laughs> so you're this working class kid from Manchester. Yeah. Dogs, loads of brothers, fights, and all of a sudden. <laughs> I imagine you've not been to a size crew, people, audience. No, no, no. What was that feeling like? Nuts. I, like, I remember being sat there just feeling like this is... And you don't fully take it in as a kid, but I remember being sat there like this is nuts. This is a different world. Yeah. During that time as well, my brother got... My younger brother got seriously ill, was in hospital, was in a coma for a while. God. No, so you didn't do it. No, I know, but I just wasn't expecting you to say that because that sounds like obviously you've got a really close family. Yeah, that was that was kind of I think my outlook on everything kind of changed when that happened. That was like a bit of a life changing moment in terms of my outlook on stuff. Is he okay now? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he's okay now. He's um, the brother that you see on Gogglebox. Oh, right, okay, it was him. Yeah, so when he was 15, I was 16, 17. Yeah. He um, got sinusitis, like just like a cold that got infected. And instead of the infection coming forwards and out through yeah. his like mucus and stuff, he must have had a tear or something in his um, membrane that separates your sinuses from your brain cavity. Okay. So it infected all his brain fluid. His brain uh, swelled up and pushed against the right side of his skull. Yeah. And yeah, so he was struggling to get up, had no energy, couldn't move his left side of his body really. Then his my mum rushed him to hospital, he had a seizure on the way. And I was I helped put him in the car before mm-hmm. he went. And I do this this thing when traumatic stuff happens or like if I get some really bad news where I'll just shut off and go into autopilot and just like dive into something. So I went straight to training. Oh so you um, that that was happening, you just went to go laser focus into something. Yeah, so I I put him in the the back of the car because he was too big for my mum to mm-hmm. <laughs> carry. So I put him in the back of the car. This was before he had the seizure. I didn't realize okay. he had the seizure, okay. otherwise it would have been different. My mum said she was going, taking him straight to hospital. So I've gone cool, gone to training. Didn't realize that as I've gone to training, he started to have a seizure in the back of the car. He's gone to the hospital. They've put him in a drug-induced coma. Give him a bunch of brain surgeries. Told my mum and dad he had a one in ten chance of survival. He was on um, the Manchester Royal Infirmary, the ICU for the children's ward, which is like the sickest kids in the country, yeah. basically. So he was on there, was on a coma, was in a coma for a while. They had to keep a part of his skull out so they could keep doing brain surgeries. Was covered in tubes. Yeah, yeah it was when he came out of the coma. He had to learn to walk again because he's com- like was completely paralyzed on his left hand side. Was epileptic, a a bunch of stuff like his brain will always be scarred on the right side. No, yeah, the right side. So he'll always have like a slight left sided weakness. Like he's, yeah, he's like probably the most inspirational person in my life. Like he came out of that and now like learnt to walk again, to run again. Got into football through Manchester United's foundation. Through that, 
like got a lot of his mobility back and then now coaches other kids with disabilities through Manchester United's foundation He's as well. Really not let that beat him, has he? No. And the first thing he said when he woke up out of the coma, well, one of the first things he said to my mum was that He's glad it happened to him and not me because I wouldn't be able to live without dancing. Wow. Unless, like, as if you that when you first wake up from something that's like that, that's not what you'd expect to. No. That's, that's, what's the word for that? Selfless. Yeah, that's my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in general for anyone that might be listening, because that all came from a cold. Yep. Is there anything that, can bring awareness of like so how to stop that or is it just like a freak of nature kind of thing it's like a one in however many million chance like yeah yeah like right. when when it happened i think they actually did when it happened they wrote a paper on it whilst he was in the uh, like a medical paper yeah whilst he was in the hospital because it's that rare wow well thank god that he made that through that yeah. and he is okay and um yeah i'm, I'm, I'm sorry that happened but like right, it's, right. it's awesome that He's he's made it through, and because that good story could go a completely different way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, like that, I went completely off topic there. No, that was do it's that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the the turning point for me where even my mum and dad were like, you know what, life's short, go and do what you want to do. Mm. Hey, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening, and give one of you loyal listeners a chance to win a year long supply of Furosity to show appreciation for all your support. To enter, all you need to do is subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and share your favorite episode on social media. But don't forget to tag us so we can see it. We really do appreciate you, and thank you for listening. So diving back in, you've obviously got all of these moments, and you've obviously got a good head on your shoulders. You've got a good family. You're doing those like controlling the uncontrollables. Mm. Sorry, controlling the controllables. <laughs> I've not always had a good head on my shoulders, by okay. the way. That's, that's literally... <laughs> Then let's dive into that. What? Oh, no, like, I've... I mean, like, just as a kid, like, I wasn't always the most rational okay. kid. Like, well, now now we know that I'm autistic, but, mm-hmm. like, as a kid, if things didn't go, like, not my own way, but the way that I wanted to do things, because mm-hmm. I think very logically, yeah, I would just fly off the handle and lose my temper, and I had a real, like... Now I'm, like... It wasn't losing my tempo and having a really bad temper. It was actually like autistic meltdowns that we yeah. didn't know I was autistic. So when when was the moment that you did kind of get? When did you find out that you had it? Like how did that come I around? Was 28. 28. <laughs> you found out you had autism when you was 28. Yeah. You've dealt with it for 28 years of your life and you didn't know. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, about 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> how, how? What? What made you get tested or find out? And and what? Well, so my, I've got a nephew that's autistic, Yeah, was already diagnosed at the time. I've now got his younger sister and niece is suspected of having autism. And I've got another nephew that's at the time suspected of having autism, who was living with my mom and dad. Okay. So when I was around my mom and dad's and stuff, like, they'd be like, oh, you used to do that. And they'd always point out stuff that I used to do when I was a kid that, that he was doing. Yeah, he also like if things didn't go his way, would have a little bit mm-hmm. of a like a, a meltdown kind of thing. And um, people had said all my life they'd be like, "Oh yeah, but you're on the spectrum." Like, kind of as a throwaway comment, almost as if like. Does that ever affect you? Um, not really. I've always been very secure in who I am. Mm-hmm. I think partially because I always excelled in stuff that I cared about. 
I kind of didn't really care too much about what other people. You had confidence, like, yeah, but I do this. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> like, not in an arrogant way, but in a way of like, I, no one could ever make me doubt my self worth because I excelled in the thing that I care about. There's a power in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and for people listening, because it is getting talked about more. Mm-hmm. People are starting to understand what autism is. But, so. like, right now, for anyone that is listening that might not know, like, what, what do you. Can you describe or, or like autism? And I also heard you say two very technical terms, yeah. which is um, was it, it uh, some neuro uh, neurotypical and neurodivergent? That's the one. Yeah. Like, could you describe autism and, and and the definitions of those? Yeah. So neurodivergent is just anyone that processes things differently. So people with like, like our our brains, in layman's terms, are, are wired differently. Mm. <laughs> so like ADHD, um, autism. I think there's certain other disorders as well that are to do with like there's like a non-verbal something disorder the one that Chris Rock has. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like it's not autism. It's just in terms of the communication side of things. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. They're all neurodivergences, mm. which basically means we're neurologically diverse. We're like not the typical, which would be how you process things. Okay. So we. Like, for example, autistic people tend to process logic before emotion. Right. Typically. Yeah. Like, not not all, but like neurotypical people tend to act on emotion and then logic. Okay, so neurotypical is like you, you appreciate how someone's feeling. So in a room, you might be able to read them as in like, well, that person's feeling sad. Mm-hmm. So I need to change the way I speak to them right now. Whereas atypical... Oh, sorry, not atypical. So Neuro. Neurotypical. Neurodivergent. No, neurodivergent. Yeah. <laughs> neurodivergent are logic-based. So, Well, autism, autistic people yeah. are logic-based because ADHD is still neurodivergent. Right, okay. But that's a different way of processing to autistic. Yeah. I just want to try and um, yeah, ma- so ma- ma- make it spelled out because I think it's really, really interesting to understand. So like neurodivergent, like neurodiverse is the umbrella term for okay. all the different sort of ways of processing information that's not neurotypical okay but then within that you have autism adhd um the non-verbal thing yeah. like there's there's loads of them because I'm, I'm just I'm breaking that down so, so someone with autism might if that person i was just speaking about that's upset or whatever yep. someone that processes emotions normally might change the way they're about to ask a question whereas if someone with autism comes in and they're thinking about no i still need to know the answer to that question even yeah if they're upset but they might but you might not yeah. understand so yeah, but then yeah. we also learn as well. Okay. The same way that everyone else does. So like as a as a kid, I used to word things horrifically. Like I was at a dance competition one time and one of the girls that went to our dance school had done her makeup differently. Yeah. And I was like, oh, your makeup looks weird. To me, I just meant it looks different to usual because okay. that's the definition of weird. Yeah. But obviously the connotations of the word weird is that it's negative. Yeah. So oh. she's in... I'm about to sneeze. I'm so sorry. sorry. Oh, it's gone away. It's gone away. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So then, yeah. So then, next thing, she's crying, and her mum's saying to me, "Why would your Tom say that to?" And my mum's looking at me like, "Why would you say that?" And I'm like, "But it looks weird. It's not the same as usual." <laughs> like, Got you. So I, you struggle just... to read that social situation. Yeah. So it's like social cues, stuff like that. Um, but having known that that happened, you're then conscious of it moving forward. You wouldn't necessarily make the same mistake again when you're thinking of it. Yeah. Like, there's still times now that I'll word things badly or say something that seems very direct and very blunt yeah but it's not because 
I'm rude or anything like that. It's just because I'm getting straight to the point. Yeah. And like cutting out all the waffle. Hold up. I'm sorry to pull you away from the conversation, but did you know you can get Furiosity in Iceland, Asda, Poundland, Booker and WH Smith. So what are you waiting for? Now back to the show. Right, diving back a little bit because we we went off there. And it was like quite, <laughs> it was great to go into it all because I know it's something that you're you're a massive advocate for yeah. and um and it's so good that you're so open and honest about that on on social channels. Thank you. I think when when um I found out, I know initially it was so that you know my nephew would have someone that he can speak to about it, and yeah. also so he couldn't use it as an excuse because if he ever said I can't do this, because yeah. then they'll be like, well, your uncle Tom did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the same way that like. I wanted to kind of be that person for him. I was like, there's probably a bunch of kids out there that are in the same position that don't have an older family member. Mm. Or like kids that like are like how I felt when I was growing up, when I was the one saying the wrong things in social situations mm. and stuff like. So I'm like, if I can be the person that I could have had growing up, then I should should do that. Mm. Like, you should, I guess you should always leave the world in a better place than you found it. Do you know what I mean? So 1,000%. What a sentence. Got to try. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then in terms of your kind of growth point, obviously you've, you've dealt with that incredibly whilst you're touring around like Vegas and <laughs> doing all of these incredible shows. But then when was the moment which, uh, I know you said Gogglebox found you, but how, yeah. old, how old was you when Gogglebox came in? Yeah, so I'm in Manchester. Mm. It's, I left in 2020 and I'd been on there for six and a half years, seven years. 2013? Yeah, 2013. Yeah. So I would have been 20. You'd have been 20. Yeah, young. So you go and go box, you build this audience, and then yep. obviously you kind of break away. Um, that must have been a mad time. People, Did people start recognizing you on the street? Yeah, I mean, they had from being on Gogglebox anyway. Yeah. It was like one of Channel 4's biggest shows, but it was always kind of, if I was with my family, mm. it would be loads. Right. And then when we were by ourselves, not not as, not much. as much. And then what's that, what's that journey been like since then? Has it been like a, a nice feeling? Or? Uh, yeah. So I've been doing a lot of stuff on, on social media. A lot of like getting back to my dance stuff. Mm. Like, So you, you're obviously doing all these like TV shows. And, but in terms of dance, like, is that now your next biggest step? Is that what you're focusing solely on? Yeah. So um, I actually, I did the BBC, not BBC, I did the... Capital Jingle Bell Ball. Okay. So that was at the Osu Arena, and I performed my own choreography with my own backing dancers on the stage. So it's like I'm. It was a sold out Osu Arena as well. Yeah. So obviously there's other headlining acts and stuff that are there at the time, but I I think I'm the first solo dancer to perform at a sold out Osu Arena with my own backing dancers as the act rather than like behind a singer. Wow, that's almost like a. The step on from that Reese Rora moment. <laughs> yeah, so like that's like that's kind of where I want to be doing stuff now. Is like I want to be putting dance at the forefront, where mm. it's like, yeah, I'm a dancer, but that doesn't mean I just have to dress up other people's stuff. Like mm. I can be the art in my own sense. I can be at the forefront doing my own thing. Yeah, yeah. That mindset's awesome to have, mate. It's it's like you've got your goal, and it's all or nothing. You're going for it and it's the only way to do it. <laughs> it's the only way to do it and like you say those building blocks every single thing if you you've not got a plan b only yeah. the plan a dance Just plan a yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate it's, it's sick plan and... a and plan one <laughs> <There's no> plan <laughs> b <laughs> to be honest i think that probably brings us to a a good old 
episode. I've, I, I, yeah. I think I've, I've gone through everything that you're kind of going through, right? You've, your life and yeah, where you've been and yeah. what you've discovered. And it's honestly an inspiration, mate. And I've, I've watched you. your TikToks and I learned <laughs> from your things and your dance careers are epic. And I wish you every kind of look on that. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying these episodes, let us know by subscribing to whichever channel you're listening through. It makes a huge difference and allows us to grow and bring you better content. Thanks for listening.